session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Hawkwe, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program. Program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. So just like last week for my Wednesday show, I'm broadcasting out of our makeshift home studio here in my father's home, uh, which used to be my old room, so it's funny to be in here doing the show. And we have Ghazole in the studio trying to make things work so I can take calls and somehow connect with all of you out there and last week it was nice to get to connect with some callers looking forward to doing that on today's show as well uh, the book of the week for this week is being human by judith human being human an unrepentant memoir of a disability rights activist and judith human is a one of the leaders in the disability rights uh, movement and has done a lot of work to bring about better rights and more equal rights for individuals dealing with disabilities. And I've just started the book, but it's already very inspiring. Um, it starts with her as a young child in Brooklyn in the 1950s and her mother trying to get her into school. And, uh, you know, it's hard for us to imagine it now because we've become much more inclusive and thankfully made progress in so many ways but uh, she wasn't allowed for years to go to school or the schools had different excuses from things like she was a fire hazard uh, and things of that nature so uh, looking forward to reading the rest of this book and sharing it with you on monday night's show so wanted to start off today talking about uh, coronavirus of course but one thing about it we've gone through a lot of challenges and changes and it's been very hard for all of us I think of course I just want to mention when we talk about these things of course it's difficult it's challenging we feel like we're in it together in a lot of ways we are uh, both by having our lives affected in similar ways and also trying to face this invisible uh, enemy together but it's important to note that we are going through it differently some people are fairly comfortable they maybe miss some things in their life like going out seeing friends certain engagements and things that they would do but they're overall okay and don't have a lot to worry about maybe even if they're making less money um, they know they'll they'll be fine they don't have to worry about their financial security to a strong degree but of course there's others who are dealing with it much more severely and already might have been in a tough situation and going through this is much harder so it is important to keep that in mind as well that of course we're going through the same time period but we might be going through it very differently and so um, I'll keep that in mind as I'm talking because some of what I mentioned might be directed to people that might feel more comfortable during this we wanted to make a note of that that not everyone is experiencing this in the same way of course uh, something also to keep in mind because I've mentioned 
when we go back to normal, whatever that normal is going to look like, I hope we won't forget the people that were living in crisis before we face this pandemic. So this was not their first crisis. Uh, but coming back to the topic I was thinking about this week, it's been a challenge, it's been very difficult, but something I've noticed with my clients, uh, I've noticed with myself and with just friends and family that I've talked to is that we miss a lot of things, but we're also adjusting to this new normal. Uh, although we don't know how long it's going to last, we're finding our way through this. That okay, I'm getting used to how things go and that maybe I can't do the same things I like to do or I can't go out or my work has changed. So many things maybe have changed, but I think it shows how adaptable we are as human beings. Really all animals have that ability in different ways to adapt. And so we can adapt and adjust to a new normal, which maybe seemed impossible to us before. If I told you about this pandemic a few months ago, you probably would think there's no way you'd be okay with what's happening. But many people are finding that they don't feel great. They might feel more anxious. There's more tension at home. Um, there's all these things that they're dealing with, but they're adjusting to it. And so I wanted to focus on that and the incredible ability we have as human beings to adjust, uh, to get used to things and to get tolerance for things and create habits because it can make or break our lives to a certain degree our tendency to create a normal for ourselves. We are amazing in that you can get used to and uh, adjusted to having healthy foods, you can get adjusted to having unhealthy foods. And if you're having healthy foods, your body will crave more healthy foods. If you're having unhealthy foods, uh, you will crave those unhealthy foods. It'll be hard for you to not have them. And speaking on this, and I'll talk about some other ways this shows up, even having food. Now, of course, I'm not a medical doctor or a dietitian, and whatever I'm going to share with you right now about my own experience is not something I'm recommending for everyone uh, because you have to know about your own health history and risks and different things that might affect you. But recently I did a 66-hour fast, meaning just water and black coffee but no food for 66 hours. And it wasn't that hard, and again, uh, disclaimer, cautionary note, don't do this without consulting a doctor, um, but it, it was not as hard as I imagined it would be. It was challenging at times, but I got used to it, and it was inspired by research I'd read and things I'd seen, but my brother, Parham, and a good friend, Sina, who had done it themselves, more prolonged fasting, and, and I gave it a try, and it was interesting to see that I could do it, and it was a kind of realization of something that I didn't think I would be able to go without eating for that long, but I was okay, and I was able to, to manage that. Whereas before, maybe I thought I had to eat every few hours. We think we're uh, gonna not be okay if we don't, we have to do it. And again, depending on your health uh, situation and condition, maybe you do need to, but for many of us, we can go without something we thought we needed every so often or more often than we thought. In a more extreme type of way, that itself can be extreme, but extreme in that what we can get used to. If you start taking a drug, or let's say you smoke cigarettes, your body will start to get used to it, tolerate it, not only tolerate it, it will start to feel like it needs it. And this is really quite incredible that we can adjust, the human body can become something that feels like it needs poison. 
because when you're smoking you're really just harming your body in so many ways and there's so many toxins and different carcinogens in it that are bad for us but anyone who's tried to stop smoking knows that it's one of the hardest things to quit and your body can feel like i need this destructive thing i can't live without it and it's such a paradox i think you can't live without something that is literally killing you but that's how we can become and so this happens physically but of course it happens emotionally and psychologically as well we can get adjusted to something very healthy or we can get adjusted to something very unhealthy we can build an almost a tolerance and then even a need for something healthy or we can build a tolerance or a feeling of need and dependence on something that is unhealthy for us and so this is something to be aware of, of what kind of habits we are creating. And, and during the pandemic where life has slowed down for many people, oftentimes you have more control over your day, even though sometimes it might feel like the days are passing you by and you're not doing things you'd like to do. But you do have the opportunity for many of us because our days have become more free to plan what you do and don't do a little bit more deliberately if you'd like. And so, Thinking about this can allow us to recognize we have an opportunity to try to change our habits. Now, habits don't change very easily. They're very hard to change, especially if they have some kind of physiological dependence, like I was talking about cigarette smoke. If you smoke cigarettes, it's not easy to just stop to be like, I wanna change my habit. And that could be the bad news. But the good news is that we know that if you go through a period of change and adjustment and you create a new normal for yourself, that can become the thing you are adjusted to. So I've even heard this from, for example, vegetarians or vegans. Maybe they loved having meat their whole life and then they go vegan for a while and then they try meat again and their body just feels really off and they might even feel sick or it doesn't feel quite good, but they've, they've created a new normal where the body no longer works well with that thing, and maybe it's unhealthy. Uh, I'm not, again, a dietitian or medical doctor. I don't want to speak on that. But it just goes to show how powerful this uh, ability to create new habits, new normals are for ourselves. And so you want to think about that. How can we use this? And I think it was uh, William James who talked about this, about how he's one of the considered one of the fathers of modern psychology, about how we have habits, and it's up to us in a way to make our habits either work for us or against us. We have a lot of power in this regard and what we do because you're gonna have habits, but they can be habits that are good for you or habits that are detrimental for you in the long run. And having that mindset can make us more intentional in what we start to do. Because if you think of any type of habit that becomes really strong, it never starts with the intention or unless it's a positive one and you really plan on it. But very often the negative ones, we don't start with the intention of, I want to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. And my apologies to cigarette smokers, I'm really uh, laying it on you today. But we don't start with that. People smoke here and there, then it becomes a few a day, then it starts to build to more. Now there's this need for more and more. You turn to it as a coping mechanism and then after a while you realize you're at two packs a day. Almost always when we look at some type of compulsion, addiction, uh, really negative behavior that becomes a strong pattern in our life, it started small and then it started to grow into something and it becomes kind of its own animal and it can be very hard to stop and it can essentially take over us as addictions can. 
where it can really ruin people's lives and they can start to feel powerless over it. And what an incredible, uh, really sad, but incredible thing to see that someone can go from living okay, not needing this drug, whatever it is, to getting to a point where they feel like they can't even go through a day without having that. That tolerance that we build up to it and that dependence becomes something that we need. And so we can take small steps towards creating habits. And that's what I wanted to emphasize, is recognizing that habits are difficult to create. You know, it's funny, one of the first books I read, I think it was the first book I read, doing the books of the week for this show was called The Power of Habit. And I didn't know how long I would do it, but now looking back, in a way it's ironic or funny because that became a habit for me to read the books every week for the show. Uh, but that's a great book. I forgot the author, maybe Charles Duhigg, something like that. But building habits, and in that book he talks about uh, some of the the issues related to the brain and what's going on in building habits. Uh, but we see that if we can take small steps towards positive habits, over time it can become easier and easier to do. Just like if you want to start running and you never run before, you're not going to run a marathon the first time, but if you keep building up your endurance and your tolerance and your ability, then over time you might look back six months, one year, and you can do much more than you could before. So we have a lot of power in creating the person we become, the habits we have, the behaviors we do, what we feel like we need and we don't need. And we can think about, well, if I look a year ahead, if I look two years ahead, what's a habit or goal or things I'd like to make part of my normal? And by taking small steps now and consistently to build a habit, you need to be consistent. We can end up somewhere far better than we are today and feel very proud of that progress and unfortunately we can also end up somewhere far worse than we are today and feel regretful for not only the time we wasted but actually being in a worse place than we were uh, before if we whatever that starting point may be and lastly just to make this connection in a more psychological and relational sense we talk about toxic relationships and that's a term you've probably heard before relationships that are very destructive harmful, usually have a lot of conflict that's unresolved and gets worse, might include abuse, whether it's physical or emotional abuse. And we call it toxic, and it's interesting, I was talking about something like cigarettes, which has toxins in it, but it can become a similar pattern where you can feel addicted to this toxic relationship, which again, can seem paradoxical, especially from the outside. How can you feel like you need and are hooked on a relationship that is constantly hurting you. How could that make sense? And that's why people from the outside can so easily judge someone who's in a toxic relationship. Like, oh, what are you doing? Obviously they like it or they're asking for it or we blame the victim because it seems so easy from the outside not to want to be in something that's hurting you. But it's the same thing as a drug. Well, why would you want to take something that's hurting you? Somehow it's your fault. But we know it's much more complicated than that. But we can see that same parallel where we can get addicted to something toxic. And rarely does someone go into a relationship thinking, I want to be with someone who's going to physically and emotionally abuse me. But slowly, like a drug, it gets incorporated into their life piece by piece until it gets out of control and then there they are but it's very hard to quit so we have to be mindful and be deliberate in the habits we create i mentioned this many times before but many people live lives letting it happen to them 
Let's just see how my days, my weeks, my years, my life goes. And unfortunately, when we do that, we take that passive approach, we oftentimes end up where we don't want to end up. It's like if you get in your car and say, let me just drive and see where I end up, you might not end up at a destination you like. But if you are deliberate and consistent in going in a certain direction, you can get somewhere that is very important to you. And we can do that in our lives as well. So just something to think about during this coronavirus pandemic, when you're home, when you're thinking about going back to your old life, when you're thinking about things you'd like to do and not do, realizing that you have a lot of power by making small steps, but they have to be consistent, usually daily steps, to work towards certain goals, behaviors, attitudes, and even positive types of, you can call them addictions in our lives, rather than going towards some negative ones, which very easily we can all fall into as well. Let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi. We'll be right back. back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 so before the break I was talking about habits and especially during this uh, quarantine or lockdown that people are experiencing staying home we have a lot of opportunity to think about some of our habits and to make some changes sometimes we have less responsibilities or social responsibilities and things and engagements we have to deal with and it can make it easier to think of how we want to spend our time um, and what we want to do and to be a little bit deliberate about the habits that we're creating because we have a lot of power and taking a small step in the right direction and if you keep going in that direction can take you very far in a good place and taking a wrong step in the wrong direction for a consistent time will make you end up somewhere really bad. And that's something we think about when you look at someone's life and even look at your own life. You can see when you look at the passage of time, wow, I used to be there and now I'm here. And that wow can be good or bad. Wow, I used to be somewhere worse, I'm so happy where I am. Or wow, I wish I had my life before, I can't believe I got to this point. I also wanted to talk about the way time is going during this coronavirus experience that we've had of being in lockdown. It's been really interesting and we, we know that time of course it's something that measures something and I'm not going to get into quantum physics not only because I don't have the time but because I don't know enough about it to talk about time as an abstract or what it is and isn't and how it could be bent and all sorts of other things that I don't quite get but I wanted to talk about more from a psychological perspective how time of course we think of it as a standard measurement but how we experience time is not something standard, meaning that you can't just say, uh, we can tell how long an hour is no matter what. We can very much experience time in different ways. You know, there's that old adage, time flies when you're having fun, and we've all experienced that before, that you're having a good time and you look at, I can't believe it's already 10 p.m. Uh, and of course, we've had the other experience too, where time feels like uh, it's going very slowly. I forgot who it was, but someone who was a speaker, he said that after a while of giving lots of talks and speeches, he got okay with people checking their watches during his talks. 
which you know happens people are looking at their time but it could be taken as a way of are people bored or are they trying to see how much time is left and things like that he said he got used to that but what he couldn't get used to is people putting their watches to their ears to make sure it was still working because they they couldn't believe how slow the time was going and i thought that was kind of funny but we've all uh, been there where time seems to go unbelievably slow and also it can go fast not only that, we know that when you're a child, when you're younger, time feels like it's going slower than it is as we get older. So our experience of time changes. So if you, let's say, uh, measure an hour or measure the length of something, how long it takes for a child, it's going to feel longer than for adults, which is something very important to keep in mind, too, as a parent when you're uh, trying to work with your kids or deal with your kids to be aware of how time can feel much longer. You might think, oh, I just made them sit there for 10 minutes, but for them, 10 minutes can feel like an eternity, especially if they're unhappy or not feeling good with whatever it is that's going on, and to be mindful of that. And the reverse is also true. If you spend some very meaningful and pleasant time with your kids, that can feel like a long time. And so you might remember being a child and experiencing time differently. One way that this has been, become very clear for me is I remember we would drive to either Bakersfield or Fresno to go to my uncles and cousins' houses in those cities. And I remember feeling like driving from Los Angeles to Fresno, which is roughly a three and a half hour drive. When I was a kid, it felt like it was the longest thing ever. Like you were like Oregon Trail traveling across the country. Uh, it was just never ending. But now when I've done it and even drive it myself, it definitely doesn't feel quite so long. So it's interesting uh, to experience that. Or when we were kids and uh, before that my cousins lived in Long Beach, I remember Parham and I, my brother, we would say it's called Long Beach because it takes such a long time to get there. But from Los Angeles to Long Beach without traffic is probably about 45 minutes or so. So it's not such a long drive, but to us as kids it felt so long. So we know that the experience of time in a psychological sense is very different. You can experience things like time dilation where time can feel very long. So for example, if you put someone in solitary confinement for even several hours, it can feel incredibly long with the sensory deprivation and things that they experience there. Now, when it comes to what we're going through during this lockdown for many people is we are having a feeling of blending things together or time feels longer or shorter. For example, the month of March for many people and myself included felt incredibly long because so many things were changing, so much was being adjusted to that we had to deal with. There was a lot of panic and anxiety and fear about what was going on. And I remember feeling like the month of March was really long, even though only the last few weeks we were in the lockdown. But because of all the adjustments and changes, many people have felt like that was a very long month. And again, even when you say that, it sounds interesting because we know the length of time didn't change in the month of March compared to other years, but our experience of that time could have been affected by um, what happened during that month and what didn't happen during that month. And for many people, April, myself included, felt a little shorter, especially compared to March. It is one day shorter, but even just in general, that feeling of it going faster, probably because we adjusted to it, we became more accustomed to things. And so because of that, it became a little bit easier. Now, another thing that people have experienced is this feeling of almost disorientation when it comes to time. Well, what day is it? Oh, it's already Friday or it's Saturday? What day of the month is it? And so we realize how much we were affected by 
you know, we talk about landmarks when we talk about uh, physical locations. So, okay, how do you find your way around? We often use landmarks to find our way, but we also have landmarks in our time, in our, our days, in our weeks that help us keep track of time and where we are. Actually, for me, even doing my Monday and Wednesday shows still during this pandemic has served as a kind of landmark for me of knowing where I am in the week of how soon I did that, when is the next one coming up. And so having these two definitely has been landmarks. I usually had my Thursdays going to um, Skid Row to do tutoring. That was also a very stable landmark in my weeks that helped me always be aware of what, where I was and what was going on and what I had to do next in that week. So it's really interesting to see this experience we've had where time is going by in a different way and we're having a harder time keeping track of where we are in our weeks. Also interesting is we know that even though it doesn't have to have meaning, but weeks for, for some reason mean a lot to us. Like we kind of separate things in a week. You know, even if you think about it, I was talking about habits, people will say, okay, starting Monday, uh, I will start this new diet or this new workout plan. Or of course, things like the first day of the month, also the year. But there's interesting ways that we have uh, separated our time that becomes meaningful to us in a way that sometimes it's just more meaningful because of our separation, not actually that it has to matter if you start on the first of the month, the sixth of the month, or if you start on a Wednesday or a Monday. It doesn't necessarily matter, but we know that we tend to be affected by these ways of keeping track of time. So for many people, because they've lost some of their landmarks of the week, time has become a lot more blurry and ambiguous as far as where they are. And keeping that structure has been difficult of what day is it, what week is it, what day of the month is it. Uh, on top of that, people before when you're going to work in different ways, you have to pay attention to the date more. Okay, that meeting is on Thursday or the meeting is going to be on the 30th of the month. And those things make the day stand out much more than when you don't have those social engagements and also work engagements. The days of the month, the days of the week can blur together because there isn't something significant about that day, some kind of obligation or even something you're looking forward to on that day that makes the day stand out. But I think this has been interesting for all of us to see how much our experience of time is affected by these different things. Not having our standard schedules, not having uh, landmarks that we're used to having that give us an idea of where we are in the week, in the month and whatnot. And also just time being slower because you might be home more, have less to do, and so time can feel like it's going by much more slowly uh, than it did before. And this can be another reason why it can be good to add structure into your days, whatever that might be, uh, or into your weeks. Uh, I was talking to a friend, Chelsea, she was saying how she wants to make different days have different kind of like themes for eating. So it's like meat Monday, taco Tuesday, I think Persian food Sunday or something, but different days have some kind of a uh, meaning to them or structure that actually makes the weeks make more sense in a way, something to look forward to. Because as much as we might think of rituals as things that are not that meaningful, we know that they do add some meaning to our life and some feeling of continuity and consistency in what is going on. So many people are finding the time to make new rituals and routines. And I think that can be very helpful to give us some feeling of structure rather than feeling this uh, amorphous feeling or this feeling, a uh, nebulous feeling that time is just blending together, that 
every day is the same day, the days blend in, and this passage of time can feel a little bit uh, uncomfortable for some people. So it could be a good idea to think of how you can incorporate some structure into your days and weeks, um, different things, and it could relate to what I was talking about in the previous segment about habits. It could be a good way to add those things together. So I uh, do different workouts on certain days or I um, communicate with different friends on certain days that makes me feel good or whatever else it might be. Linking those two together, how can you put habits uh, in connection with your days and your weeks that might give a little bit structure during this time, which we don't know how much longer, depending on where you live, it could be different, uh, how much longer we will be in this lockdown. But in some ways, we're almost forced to create more of our own structure whereas before that structure was coming in before. So just an interesting note to pay attention to this passage of time. Sometimes um, time could feel like it's going really slow. Sometimes it feels like it's flying by, and there's different things that can be influencing that. Let's go to another commercial break. Our studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Tolakli. We'll be right back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Um, hi, Farid. Um, I'm calling from Toronto, Canada. Oh. Thank you so much for taking this call. Thanks for calling. Thank go you. Go ahead. Um, Farid, my question was um, that I met this gentleman um, in person about seven months ago, and we exchanged numbers and had an immediate connection. Um, we talked for hours, we had such great chemistry, and um, for the first time it was a, it was the kind of relationship that I felt, it was healthy, light enlightened him, it was very, um, we just brought up that relationship I was in before. Now, um, let me stop you there for a second, I don't know if it's my, on my side, but I can't hear you very well, I don't know if your phone is breaking up or not, I heard oh. something. Yeah. Is this better? It's okay. There's a, it, it seems like it's breaking up. The connection might not be very good. Oh, I, no. I don't know. Um, I don't know how it is. But let me try again. Let's see. Okay. You sound very distant for me, but I do hear you. Okay. It got a little bit better. Yeah, it seems like there's something with the connection. I'm not sure what's oh, going on. And I'm ta uh, apparently it's coming from your phone as far as what I can tell because I'm texting with Ghazal in the studio. Um, I I'm not sure okay. if you're somewhere where your service is bad. Um, I will change to my living room. I don't know if this will make a difference. So as far as I heard so far, uh, it almost got worse somehow. But I think you said you met someone seven months ago and things were, you thought going well. It was the kind of relationship you thought you would want to have. Um, and yes. then I, I lost most of the rest after that. Okay, um, well, I'll, I'll try my best. Hopefully it won't disconnect. Um, the gist of the situation, Farid, is that um, he expressed to me that he is not in a place to be in a relationship necessarily. Um, and I expressed that I am wanting to pursue a relationship. In time, um, this connection got, of course, deeper, we were intimate. And 
um, have been talking daily ever since for hours upon hours and seeing each other on a daily or sorry weekly basis um, mm-hmm. now that said um, he has he had left a relationship of about 13 years in the past year and that was his reasoning for why he is wanting to work on himself and seek therapy and I had gone through a, a quite a traumatic breakup of my own on my end and so I too have been um, seeking therapy and doing um, my work as well um, but I am at a place now where I feel that we are getting closer and at least my feelings are growing for him more um, but he is still somewhat caught up with all the healing that he has to go through and um, I almost feel like the connection that we have is not being um, really acknowledged and I, I, I suffer from some abandonment issues and attachment issues myself, mm-hmm. so I know that some, some of that comes from, from my end, but I, I'm just kind of stuck knowing whether or not this is something I should pursue because it feels very healthy um, when things are good, and, and you know, but I'm kind of stuck in the middle. So I just wanted to see what your um, take is on this. Sure. Well, yeah, it, uh, and it's funny, you're, it, it got better, the sound, thankfully, so wherever you went, probably it's better. Now, um, it's obviously, uh, you know, relationships are complicated things, but some parts of it can feel more simple. You know, going in, it's very important to have talks about what are you looking for, where are you at, what do you want in the future, and you need to be aligned with the other person in order to create uh, the relationship together that you both will want or else you're gonna get into some big problems for example some people they want to get married another person doesn't ever want to get married or they want kids other person doesn't want kids and you can be a great match as far as let's say your personalities and the way you are together which of course is important and can feel incredible but if you don't want the same things then it's gonna lead to a lot of pain down the line and a lot of people go in at times with this hope that I'm going to change their mind. So uh, whether it comes to yeah, relationships, oh, you know, he says he doesn't want a relationship, but after he sees how good it is between me and him, he'll change his mind. Or, oh, she says she doesn't want to have kids, but once we get married, of course, she'll want to have kids. And once she sees that there's nothing left to do and all the pressure, and so she'll change her mind. But of course, people can change their mind, but going into something with the mindset and the intention that it's going to work because they will change their mind is a very, very risky way to start a relationship. So unfortunately, uh, you, you got that message from him. It seems like he was clear about what he wanted and where he was at and that he wasn't ready for a relationship. But at some level, you wanted to ignore those you know, if you want to call them red flags, not necessarily about him as a person, but red flags about you and him as a match for a relationship, uh, and went ahead anyway. And of course, your feelings are going to grow. If you start talking to someone uh, every day, seeing them regularly, uh, having a sexual relationship, of course, it, your, your feelings for them will grow no matter what. Even if you guys were a bad match, your feelings would grow for that person. So it doesn't. that's not something that's surprising to us. Right. Uh, so here you are where you, you know, you say he's not acknowledging um what you know you guys have but in a way we could also say you're not acknowledging what he told you from the beginning which is i'm not going to be ready to have something serious or to commit to you in the way that you want 
and it seems like both of you at some level uh, wanted to ignore that because maybe it was feeling good and also you have to even look a little deeper when you say your own feelings of abandonment is this uh, bringing up some of those you know you're in a relationship where you're getting a subtle rejection from him all the time because you want more and he keeps saying no or at least the no is already been stated and you're wanting him to change his mind but it seems like you take that as a rejection uh, maybe you're afraid to get too close to him because then you could lose him but uh, or maybe you're afraid to lose him now and so you don't want to really face what might be going on um nonetheless you're in a, you're putting yourself in a pretty tough spot that in some ways we can say you knew about but either you were ignoring it or hoping things would change or he would change his mind but it seems like he hasn't and now you're seven months in yeah now yeah absolutely how, how old are you and how old is he 29 and he's 34 34 okay so he was in a relationship from i mean when he was almost 20 or so i guess right and then because you said it was 13 years the relationship yeah he i mean he expressed to me and we had a conversation last night that he you know um out you know accepting that he was with this out you know his 20s into his early 30s and has spent so much of his life with her and um, I think sorry that what you're saying completely and um, I know that I into this and brings this up on a regular basis of almost I, I told you so um, kind of from the beginning um, he does acknowledge I was saying how he doesn't acknowledge the thing at some level now regardless of what living on it there is there let me is, stop you again yeah the sound the connection was better before last time you spoke again this time it's breaking up and getting like modulated in oh, a weird way um uh, yeah it's spot. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, if you go to the same spot, it might be better. So I heard you say um, you recognize some of the things, but something about him not acknowledging, and then I, we kind of lost you. Yeah. Um, can you hear me now? No, not really. It's very unclear. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's coming very unclear. Hmm. Well, I, I don't can hear this, but I... What what my initial fear right now is all in my heart and everything on the line, um, regardless of not ready for a relationship. But um, I I'm feeling uh, my biggest fear right now being is he's then going to go back with my um, go back with his ex. Yeah. Well, okay, That's so. Right, but so what you're kind of saying is I'm holding on to him in a way that doesn't even feel that good for me because he's going to go back with his ex, which is interesting. You mentioned the fear of abandonment, but it's almost like you're trying to win him more than be happy. Like, I can't lose him to his ex, which also clearly shows that you don't feel like he's over his ex and maybe he's not. But that puts you in a very bad spot to be in a relationship with someone that doesn't want to be all with you the way you want to be. And you're living in this type of uh, fear almost that he's going to go back to her. And so you're almost afraid to let go of him. 
that he'll go back to her, but you're also not getting from him what you want when you're in it. So uh, I think it's easier said than done. It seems like your feelings are strong, but it almost seems like you feel like if I give him more, he should be changing his mind. And I know you said maybe it wasn't quite how I took it, but it's almost like, why is he not acknowledging how much I'm pouring into this relationship where he told you where he was at you know he said i can't do uh, a real relationship and now you're saying maybe this guy is so great and i don't want to lose him but more than just losing someone we have to make sure we don't lose ourselves in not getting what we deserve and being happy you know he might be a great guy but he's not the person that right now can give you what you deserve which is someone who's fully committed to you doesn't make you feel like you're you know going to lose them at any moment to their ex because that's not a good feeling um and, and so it, it's something really uh, uh, painful that you're in with him it's, it's this very bittersweet sweet feeling because the closer you're getting to him it seems like you also then feel that sting of, well, I don't fully have him and maybe I'll lose him. And that, of yeah. course, is not what a relationship should be giving us. Now, I, I wish, you know, if the sound was a little bit better, I would want to get a little deeper into what, how this can connect to your past. But it, it seems like when you're talking, it, it really breaks mm -hmm. up and it's hard for us to hear it. So, uh, but I want you to think about that. Where, where does this resonate with you? Being with someone not fully available, uh, and even that could be related to abandonment issues if you had that growing up. And to take a closer look that, you know, it's not about, you know, the way you even talk about it, it's like if I be, the reason why I'm saying it could relate to your childhood, it's almost like if I'm a good enough girl, mommy or daddy will love me more than they do right now. It's almost like that's what you're saying is like if I create something so yeah. beautiful, if I pour more of my heart out, if I give him more, then I'm going to change his mind. But it's like he's already told you that he can't give you the thing that you want, but you take that personally as in I'm not enough or I'm not doing enough. Whereas it's not about you, it's about him and where he is at. And so um, it, there's probably some kind of connection you can make to your childhood there or maybe past relationships and maybe both where there could be this feeling of yeah. uh, not getting the love you felt like you wanted or deserved, but also you internalize that as somehow I'm not enough to get that. And if I only become enough, yeah. then I'll get it. So, you know, we're, we're, it's amazing how we can repeat the dramas from our childhood in various ways and find someone to play that role for us. And there could be something there. But, you know, hearing you talk about the relationship, it just seems like you are setting yourself up to get very, very hurt and maybe hurt in the same way you were hurt before which what it does is it makes people think you see yeah. it's true what i thought because no guy is going to love me this way or no person stays forever or whatever it is but it's really because we've created the same right. scenario so we get that same result yes yes you're absolutely right um i, I hope you can hear me but um is there a book that you can recommend um or something that i can i can look into um, okay, I'm not sure, you know, I, I think I heard you say a book. I would have to think about that. I don't know a book related. I'm sure there are on abandonment issues. Um, I, nothing comes to my mind. I, I would just recommend looking for something. I know you mentioned something about okay. going to therapy. I think going to therapy is one of the best ways to deal with something like this as it is with most relational and psychological issues. Uh, and you might have to be ready that 
ending this relationship and even calling it i mean it's not that it's not a relationship but apparently it's not a committed relationship the way you want it to be uh, it's going to hurt and i don't know if you were listening at the beginning of the show but you know we can be in a, an arrangement in a relationship or even with like let's say a drug where stopping it feels like the most painful thing in the world but it might be the best thing for us to totally. go through and so this could be I, we don't know for sure but it could be that kind of situation and what happens is I, the parallel to drugs is very similar because if you break up with him let's say tomorrow the next day the thing you're going to want more than anything is to talk to him again and the thing that will instantly make you feel better is to talk to him yeah. again but it might be just like taking the drug again and might yeah. put you back in the same space so um, you know it's recognizing your worth which maybe you don't quite understand is more than you're, you're giving uh, the impression of and trying to figure out that I can be with someone who's there 100% who wants what I want and who wants me uh, the way I want them to want me uh, and go right. forward but it seems like he's been right. who he said he was from day one but your feelings for him have just grown and grown and and there's a lot for you to think about there but you know think about the your connection to the past you mentioned it there with the, maybe with your father and there could be something you're repeating here him not wanting to be with you is not because you're not good enough him not being wanting to be with you is that he's not over this past relationship which he, he told you so try to re remind yourself of that fact Yeah, and that's the kind of, I mean, I'm glad you can recognize that. And even, you know, sometimes people will almost fool themselves or they think, oh, this just means I'm so madly in love with this person. We're so right for each other. He or she is like the perfect person. But when it comes yeah. the way you're describing it, we can see that it's not coming from a healthy space. It's coming from a need space or maybe feeling like I'm going to lose him or he fills me up and I'm nothing without him. You know, a lot of times the things that are beautifully, you know, written and love songs and poems that we think are good like yeah. i'm nothing without you and all these things are really not healthy things when we really think about it so we can get misled to thinking something is romantic when really it's more neurotic and expressing something painful within ourselves so i'm glad it seems like you have some level of insight into that which is good but making the change will be hard uh, but i hope you'll make a step in the direction that you recognize is the best for you even if it's a harder one and then go yeah. forward and continue working on yourself i do have to go to a commercial break and like i said i wish the the audio was better we maybe could have had a better uh, or deeper back and forth maybe you can call another time and hopefully we'll, we'll have a better connection okay so much I, I appreciate your time thanks so much my pleasure take care all right, let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Back studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. So in the previous segment, unfortunately, uh, the connection on the phone was not so great, so couldn't get a little bit deeper as I wanted to about how we can see if there was connections between the caller's past and present and 
the current dating situation she was in, uh, we were able to see there were some and she recognized them, which is good. But um, would have ideally liked to get a little bit deeper to see those connections, but wanted to talk a bit about that topic now in, in when it comes to dating. So the first one that I talked to about her that came up is making sure you're on the same page with whoever it is you are dating. There's nothing wrong with casual relationships. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to be in a relationship. And of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting a serious relationship. But we have to make sure what we want and the person we're dating wants is aligned. And we want the same things. Because if you don't, uh, the other factors of how good of a match you are, how attracted you are to each other, uh, what you um, feel like you're compatible on, it's not going to make a difference or it's not going to be enough. If anything, if you're actually more attracted and more connected to each other, it's going to lead to some future pain down the line, which is maybe what she was experiencing. So I think it's important early on in the dating process to have a conversation about what it is you both want. I know people can shy away from these conversations because they think, especially I've heard it before from females, that if I bring up this conversation of what I'm looking for and I say I want a relationship going towards marriage and all these things, it's going to scare the guy away. Um, now on the first date, maybe you don't have to have that conversation, but I think pretty early on we should be able to have these conversations with one another. Yes, it, it can be a little uncomfortable, um, but I think it's something that we should be able to handle. And if someone can't handle those conversations, to me that itself can be a partial red flag that they can't even talk about these types of things and they get too uncomfortable. And not only that, what I've also noticed is sometimes people avoid this conversation because they know that what they want might not be what the other person wants. So if they know that legitimately they're looking for a casual relationship or even just they want it to be more just sexual than anything else, well, they of course don't want to share this with someone who they think wants a serious relationship, so they want to avoid this conversation. Of course, they can even lie when you actually have the conversation, uh, but I think it's better to have it than to not. But so if you find that someone can't tolerate having this conversation or says it's, we shouldn't or we don't need to, let's just see what happens, usually these are signs that the person thinks that you're not going to want what they want or they don't want something serious and they think that's what you want, so they'd rather avoid it or say things like, I'd rather go with the flow. Uh, or they might say something like, you know, um, if the right person came along, I think I would be open for something more serious. And of course, that could be legitimate or it could be a way of just saying it in this abstract way. But clearly, they're not saying they're looking for a serious relationship. No one says you should start a serious relationship with someone you hate. Of course, it's if you find the right person, you start a serious relationship. So usually, these are ways that they try to get around having the conversation because they're pretty sure that you're not going to want what they want and usually in the direction of they want something casual, no strings attached, and they think that you might want something more and so they have to at least lead you on or not let you into that mindset that they have of looking for something more casual. So I think that conversation is important to have. So what are we looking for? Do we want the same things? And then even if you both want a serious relationship, once it gets a little bit more serious, even things like marriage and children. 
Some people know they don't want kids. Some people know they definitely want kids. And so that has to be aligned as well or else you're going to face some big consequences down the line. Now, unfortunately, many people will have these conversations, our previous callers only want to do this, and they'll find out that they're not aligned with each other, they want very different things, but they keep going forward dating anyway. And this is the interesting thing, it goes in some ways back to what I was talking about before about habits and, and the ways we do things, but as humans we have a hard time changing. It's a hard time to overcome our inertia. You start going in a certain direction, and unfortunately at times we just keep going in that direction. Oh, we're talking to each other and texting, and so, oh yeah, you want a relationship? I definitely don't, but let's just keep texting. We're talking to each other. You know, again, this idea of going with the flow. Going with the flow is very dangerous. It depends on what we're talking about. If you're talking about you're just hanging out with some friends and hey, let's just go with the flow and, and relax and enjoy ourselves, that can be okay. But if you're saying I'm going to go with the flow when it comes to my relationships or I'm going to go with the flow when it comes to my career, you're probably going to end up in places you don't want to end up because you're not deliberately choosing what you want. You're not being intentional in what you want and you very likely will end up in a very tough spot where you have strong feelings for someone who doesn't want to be in a relationship and it can be, be very painful. So if you're going to have this conversation, you have to use that information that you get from the conversation or you're just setting yourself up to get hurt and knowing that you're going to get hurt. It's like if you went to the doctor and said, give me a diagnosis, they said, oh, you have this disease and then you decide not to get the treatment. Well, if the whole point of getting the x-ray or the blood test or whatever it was, was to see what you have, what the problem is, what the situation is, and what type of treatment or no treatment is it going to require, then if you don't use that information, then it's just a waste of time to get that diagnosis. And it's a waste of your own feelings and your pain that's going to be coming up. So we want to make sure when we have these conversations, we have to be willing to act on them, even if it hurts in the moment. Uh, even after a couple dates, you might really be excited about the f person, feel a connection. Sometimes people say things like, oh, well, it's so hard to find someone. So I finally found someone, so I thought, well, I might as well not lose this opportunity. And it can be difficult to find people that are a good match for us. But if we go in with the mindset, we can talk about a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset that there's only one or two guys or girls in this whole city or country that are good for me, well then almost definitely you're going to create this desperate mindset where you might try to cling on to anything even if it's bad. It's like if you were starving and you felt like there's no food, you might eat something that looks like it's rot or spoiled because you don't know if you'll get food again. And if you can come from an abundance mindset, doesn't mean you're unrealistically or idealistically optimistic but that there are people out there there isn't just one or two people and if I found one I have to cling on to them you can recognize that I don't have to hold on to something that can hurt me I can let it go and and trust that I could be with someone else I can find someone else and so I hope you'll keep that in mind have the conversation but you have to act on the information you get from that conversation or else you're gonna actually end up worse off in the long run also, we can look at how what we do as far as picking someone could be affected by things in our past. So that was something else that uh, the caller was avail uh, aware of and had some insight into that this could be related to her own fears of abandonment, especially if it's with the opposite sex 
um, parent, if you are heterosexual and now you're looking for a member of the opposite sex to be in a relationship with, it's very likely you're going to bring a lot of that old baggage into the selection of your mates and also uh, how you create your relationships will very likely be affected by what's happened. And it's quite incredible the power of our unconscious because what you see time and again, it almost can seem mystical or magical, but it really isn't, is that people get drawn towards people that have the negative qualities or dynamics in the relationship that they experienced in their childhood with their parents. And if I hadn't seen it really like hundreds of times with people in my office, I might be less likely to believe it, but it's really incredible how powerful of a force it can be that people are drawn towards someone that is like their parent, especially the opposite sex parent, and especially if they had some trauma or negative aspects of that relationship or that person, they seem to be drawn to that person. Um, Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks is a good one to look at in this regard. He, he writes a lot about this, how people are drawn to that person unconsciously who has those negative qualities. And really it has to be unconscious because of course, consciously no one is going to say, oh, I want someone who was abusive like my mom or someone who was controlling like my dad. We tend not to want those negative things consciously, but you see time and again people getting attracted to and being in relationships with people who have those negative qualities, which shows us that somehow we're unconsciously being attracted to them. Now a word about the unconscious. It tends to get a very bad rap because uh, for a few reasons. One is when we look at Freud, who is really one of the individuals who introduced this concept of the unconscious to us, it was the place where all these repressed drives and sexual urges and ugly dirty things of, you know, wanting to kill people and murder it was a very dark place and that legacy has continued where people tend to think of oh you have this unconscious feeling it has to be something dark and ugly and negative something that it's in your unconscious because of how bad it is how you've put it down there kind of like you've put something in the basement because it's so dark and ugly and that's why it doesn't see the light of day when really what the unconscious is, is really this concept uh, that we can't have everything that our brain can hold on to available to us all the time. There's a lot of things that are out of our conscious awareness at any given time and that we might not have conscious access to, but are there in part of our brain and you know our mind, but are not negative things necessarily. They help us survive and get through the day without having to deliberately think about every single thing that's going on, which would be overwhelming. So the unconscious doesn't necessarily mean something dark and bad, even though we oftentimes have this association with it. We just automatically can have things come to us that we sometimes, like let's say you talk about intuition, there does seem to be something real about intuition. Sometimes you consciously are not aware of how you came to some solution or some idea, but it's coming to you in ways that you're not quite aware of what that information is you took in or how you were able to make that connection. You see something and it somehow emotionally feels right or naturally feels right, and you don't have access to what that is, but it's more of an unconscious and even sometimes you can say emotional reaction than a conscious, deliberate type of a thing. And so we find ourselves attracted to people and we might not know why. And that's an interesting thing about attraction. In the book Eight Dates that I read, 
um, recently by the Gottmans and the Abrams, um, they talked about that, how it's so hard to predict attraction. We think there should be formulas, and a lot of these dating sites have formulas where they try to tell you, uh, we have the questions that we're going to ask you and we're going to ask the other people and using those questions and different formulas we have, we're going to match you with the right person. But as far as we've seen, there's no um, reality to that. There seems to be no um, real strength in these tests to be able to predict who will be attracted to one another. It's kind of a gimmick and a ploy, so don't think too much about those but you, of course, can find someone online dating, but don't think it's because of the formulas they have. No one has seemed to crack, to this, to crack this code so far using questionnaires of this type. And it's because a lot of what we experience when we're attracted to someone is unconscious. You're not quite aware of what it is. And that's why even when we ask someone what attracts you to someone, I think it is a good question. But we also know that a lot of times they're not quite aware of all the things that attracted them this individual. And so we want to try to make the process a little more conscious or more mindful. And one way we can try to do that especially is because we know the tendencies of humans to be attracted in this way to things from their past, especially negative ones, you can try to see if any of those qualities seem to exist in your potential partner that you're looking at, this person that you're attracted to. Is there anything about this person that that might be familiar to my past. And familiar is an interesting word. It also has, in a way, the word family in it. Uh, but sometimes because something feels familiar, it feels good to us. But sometimes it's familiar because it's painfully familiar. It's something from our past that's something painful that is reminding us of that. But it feels like home. It feels like something we're used to. And so you might even feel, you know what? He or she, they just feel right to me. Something it felt like I knew them for a long time. Uh, this could be a good thing, but also could be a bad thing. You know them for a long time because they share some of the personality characteristics of someone bad from your past. And going further, when we try to understand why might this be, so to begin with, there's the feeling of the familiar, something feels like home to us, even if it hurts. And this is uh, another uh, indication of how our comfort zone, sometimes we use that word comfort, and comfort sounds like it feels good, but our comfort zones tend to be very painful and very harmful to us, even though we're used to them. So someone feels familiar, feels comfortable to you. But another aspect of this is that we have unfinished business with our parents, and especially with those characteristics that are there. So if we had an angry, abusive uh, father, we want to find that angry man who might have a tendency to be abusive, but there's this feeling that I can try to make the story end differently. So if I'm good enough, if I love him enough, if I become a good enough person, a good enough girl, woman, whatever it is, he won't be angry anymore. He won't abuse me. And so we find someone with those characteristics to try to rewrite our old story with this new ending. But unfortunately, if you go towards someone who is angry and abusive and has those tendencies, they're almost definitely going to be that way with you. And it's actually interesting because let's say if it was your father, your father didn't abuse you because you were bad even though unfortunately very often uh, a child will internalize this, that if I was better, if I was good, my dad wouldn't hit me, my mom wouldn't hit me. We internalize that personally and it affects our self-esteem. I'm not good enough. I am bad in some way. And then so we find someone and we create the same thing. They're not abusing you because you're bad and you deserve to be abused. That's 
their way of being. They're an abusive person. They're someone who can't control their anger and thinks they have the right to take it out on someone in that way. It's about them, not you. But it further um, solidifies, unfortunately, in our minds, this story about ourselves. See, everyone will treat me this way. And also about the outside. See, all men are this way. This is another case. My father did it, now this man did it. And they might be drawn to the next person with similar characteristics, further reinforcing and solidifying all men are bad and I deserve to be treated bad. And these things can be very hard to uh, change. It's not easy to change these things. Just even knowing them at times is not enough. The knowledge is not necessarily going to lead to change. Very often a healthy relationship, even a healthy therapeutic relationship, a relationship in therapy can be part of the process that leads to this change to recognize not everyone has to treat me this way and I don't deserve to be treated this way and I'm not being treated this way because I deserved it but that there are some people out there who might act this way and I don't need to be in a relationship with those people anymore. Very simple to say it that way, but the process itself is very complicated. But it also points to the complexities of human relationships, of our attraction, and how we, of course, a lot of it, as I was saying, is unconscious, but we can try to be more conscious of what's going on to potentially prevent some of the pain and the recapitulation of pains from the past to happen again. All right, let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So something that we've been experiencing during this coronavirus pandemic for many of us is a feeling of a lack of control, a lack of control over what's going on in our lives right now, how our social lives, of course, have been affected, but also work and other things, but also a lack of a feeling of control of our future, what's going to happen. We don't know when things will start opening up and going back to quote-unquote normal and what that normal will look like. And all of these things can be difficult for us to process as we feel like our lives, um, what's happening and not happening in our lives, we're losing some sense of control. And this usually creates feelings of anxiety. So I think overall, if you took some kind of, if there was a way to just take a, a pulse of the anxiety of the whole world, I think it's higher right now than it was, let's say, a few months ago. Almost everyone is experiencing slightly more anxiety than they were before. Now, we know that one of the best ways to combat this is to recognize when you can't control something, to let go of that as much as you can, and to let go of trying to control things that you can't control. Uh, easier said than done, of course. And I actually really like the serenity prayer, which I'm not going to be able to quote, but essentially it says that uh, grant me the strength to change the things I can't, I, th sorry, change the things I can and to accept the things that I can't and the wisdom to know the difference between, to know what are the things I can change to work on them and what are the things I can't change to try to accept them and let go. Because if we were able to do that, we'd actually live a lot more of a peaceful life. Because it's interesting, both of those uh, versions uh, could be bad. If you um, don't accept the things you can't control and you keep trying to fight against them and resist them, you're just going to drive yourself crazy, exhaust yourself, 
uh, trying to change something that's not changeable and not come to peace with it. And on the other hand, of course, if you accept something that actually you can change, that's not good. Maybe you can make something better for yourself or for someone else, but you think that it's unchangeable and you don't try anything uh, to change it. So I think that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that short prayer uh, that I think is really interesting. But so if we could accept those things that we can't change, it would be great, but it's hard to know what that is. But I also wanted to make this connection to controlling people, controlling others. So um, what's interesting is we try to control other people where when we look at it, we know that we can't even control ourselves. I was mentioning in the first segment about habits, of course we can build habits and you can affect your behavior. So of course I'm not saying we don't have any control. We have a lot of control or really we do virtually have all the control over ourselves. But to say that you're always going to do everything you know that is good for you in the long run every time, no one has done that in human history. So to think that you're going to be able to control yourself even is unlikely. You want to have better control. You want to be making better decisions overall, but knowing that you won't always get it right. And so it's almost funny to think that we can have this feeling of wanting to control and thinking we can control or change someone else just because we want to control them. And so especially this happens with uh, romantic relationships, but even more so with parents who at times they might think one of their roles, now they might not call it control, but they might think that one of their responsibilities is to make their kids good people, good adults, or whatever that means, make them happy and all those kinds of things. And so unfortunately this can give some people the mindset that I'm supposed to control my kids because I know what's best for them. My job is to make them good. And so if I don't try to control them, I'm actually being neglectful or not allowing them to become the best they can be. I use the analogy a lot that when you have a child, your child is like a seed. And so that seed, when given the right environment, giving the soil, the water, the sunlight, the nutrients that it needs, it's, it's going to grow into its potential when you give it the right environment and the right type of nurturing and love. And so you don't try to make uh, a seed turn into a certain plant. In essence, you don't know exactly what that seed is supposed to become, but you're supposed to just uh, give it that love and nurturance and essentially get out of its way for it to become and meet its full potential. And I like that analogy because that's similar to what our kids are like. I believe that human beings inherently, when they're put in a good environment, a loving and nurturing environment, will develop into a good thing. They will become good. You don't need to make them become the good that you think is best, but rather let them become their own best, their own good. Of course, this includes giving them structure and discipline and all sorts of things. So I'm not saying you are uninvolved, but overall the mindset is even the structure could be like the pot of the plant. It's actually giving it something that helps support its growth. It's not structure as in to hurt it or because it needs it in that way, but it's actually to give it the facilities to grow. It's facilitating the growth. So as a parent, if you think your job is to make your child this or that, you're going to push and pull and control them in ways that actually interferes with their growth. Just like if you try to pull on the plant in different ways, you might even kill it or uh, injure it in different ways rather than promoting its growth. So I see this law with parents thinking, I have to control my kids. And it also relates to another philosophy of parenting that I bring up a lot that many parents hold on to, which is that uh, is the pain prevention philosophy of parenting. 
that my role as a parent is to make sure my kid has no pain in any way. If my pain, if the child can feel hurt in some way, I have to make sure that's avoided at all costs, which comes from a, a good mindset. And especially when your child is a baby, you essentially do that. They're hungry, you feed them. They need to be changed, you change them. They're tired, you help them sleep or you comfort them. And so it's really just this needs-based type of reaction, which makes sense to meet those needs and to try to reduce the amount of pain and discomfort they experience overall. But as your child gets older, we know that part of growth involves discomfort and pain in different ways. They have to face some challenges in order to grow. Even when they're learning to walk, they have to fall down sometimes if they want to learn how to walk. So if you thought, I never want my child to fall, then you won't let your child learn how to walk. I'm going to just hold them the whole time and they never get that experience. But if you know they fall and you know they fall and they're okay and they get right back up, it's a very inspiring thing to see a child learn how to walk because you see them fail and fail and have all these uh, obstacles and difficulties, but they don't give up. They just keep persevering. Uh, we have to let them fall. And so that's in a literal sense, but also as they get older emotionally, uh, educationally, academically, socially, with friends, we have to give them that space to fall and to have pain and have experiences. But many parents come from this mindset, I know better and I know what's going to be best for my child to prevent their pain and to become good. And so let me tell them what to do. Oh, they're having a fight with their friend. Let me tell them exactly what they should say. First of all, you shouldn't care about what he said. And also you can find other friends and you tell him this and you do this and blah, blah, blah. And I'll, I'll tell you exactly what to say. Or you're about to get a bad grade. Let me call your teacher to prevent the pain. Or let me teach you how to study and control what you're doing. So the mindset shifts from allowing our child to grow and become what they are and who they are and to meet their potential into let me make you into something. Let me mold you into exactly what I want you to be and push you, pull you, whatever it is to allow you to become what I think is best for you, which doesn't work. And so this doesn't work in a few ways. First of all, we can't control ourselves then we definitely can't control someone else. So even if you try to make them exactly what you want, it's not some kind of computer program that you can just put in some algorithms or whatever software or whatever it might be and turn them into something. So it doesn't work in that way. Another very important thing is that we want to give them the experience of making decisions. So if again, we think it's just about pain, we think, oh, you know what, if he does this, it's going to hurt. So let me stop it. But if we recognize the beauty and actually the wisdom in allowing our child to have experiences so that they grow and they learn, then we realize, yeah, there might be some growing pains and some mistakes and even some pain that comes along with whatever they go through, physical, emotional, whatever it is, but I'm gonna let them go through it. They might slip, they might fall, they might hurt themselves. Of course, we protect them from bigger harms, but we have to allow for them to get hurt. And so if we give them that space to make decisions and to go through things, that's going to be much better for their growth than if we just tell them what to do. And so I see this in families and very strongly in Persian families, uh, where we have a few other factors, including uh, feelings of being right, being right all the time. I always know best. Many people have this. It's sometimes more strongly in males with some narcissism of I'm never wrong. I always know what's best. I always know the right thing and the best thing to do. And so, well, of course, I should tell you that. If I know the best thing for you to do, why would I 
lets you make a worse decision. If I love you, I actually should try to essentially control you. They might not think of control, they might think it's guidance or uh, giving advice, but it's presented in a way of either do it this way or you're making a huge mistake. And that's what a lot of parents do. So parents go into their conversations with their kids, their parenting in general with this mindset of, I'm supposed to control my kid to make them good. And this continues as the child gets even older. And I see this with parents telling their kids who they should date, who they shouldn't date, what career they should choose. Uh, all these types of things where the child is basically told in direct and indirect ways, you don't know how to make good decisions. You don't even know what you want. I know what you want and what's the best thing to do. So we invalidate our child's feelings, our child's desires, our child's wants, and we also invalidate their ability to make a decision. We're implicitly and explicitly telling them, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to make good choices, but I do. And you might even feel good about that. Oh, my child is starting to rely on me to make decisions. And so here we see that as a parent, you're making it more about you than your kid. It feels good to you to be right, to be smart, to be wise, to be the one making the decisions, but you're not giving your child the opportunity to make those decisions. And so I've worked with many, countless young adults who are asked to now make the big decisions of life, uh, things like I was talking about, who to date or be with, marry, if they want to have kids, and then once they become parents, dealing with all those things, and also big career choices, what career should I even go into, what should I study, um, once I pick a career, what direction should I go, but they're very ill-equipped to make these decisions, and they think they're ill-equipped, they think, I don't even know what I want, I don't know what's right, my parents always told me, and they also told me I was wrong, right, so if you tell your child, what are you doing dating this person? You don't know how to pick people. What are you thinking studying this or going into art or going to whatever they think is so wrong? I picked art because so often that's something that Persian parents might be against. And so they push their child in a different way and they tell their child, you don't know what to do. And now they have to make these big decisions. And unfortunately, we can't make decisions for someone else because we don't know what they want or what feels good to them, what's right for them. I can't tell you what music you like, you have to listen to music and see what you like. Now, of course, we can make suggestions, even like with music, and say, hey, I heard this song or this new artist thought you might like it, but I can't tell you, you will like this song and you will listen to it every day. That doesn't work. I can't tell you it feels good to you. I can't tell you what food is going to taste good to you. And I can't tell you what relationship is the right one for you. You have to understand what you're going through. Again, I might have some thoughts and if we have a good relationship, you might even want to communicate with me and get my input. But at the end of the day, you have to decide what feels good to you, what is right for you, and then make that decision. And then also live with the consequences, good and bad. If it's good, you learn from it and feel good and experience the good feeling. If it's bad, you have to experience that pain. You might learn something from it too of, oh, I, I didn't recognize this factor or I thought this mattered more than it did, or I totally got blindsided by something and now I'm more aware of it. So we have to give our, our children that opportunity. And a last note about these things. Oftentimes people think that if they're giving good advice and even being controlling, but it's in a good way, then it's okay. So if the advice is right, they think it's okay. But when we look at controlling and when we look at giving people space to be their own person, 
the advice, the goodness or the badness of the advice is less important than giving people space to be themselves. Every morning or, you know, for anyone's day, there was probably ways that they could have had a quote unquote better day. And so you can look at anyone and say, well, did you work out this morning? Then did you meditate? Did you do this and did that? And all the things you're saying might be quote unquote good advice, might be helpful things, might be beneficial to them. But when we approach someone in this controlling and judgmental way, it only bogs them down and hurts them. It's not helping them. So that's another thing to keep in mind because some of my parents say, well, it's true. I told them he should study more and it is good to study more. And the argument isn't necessarily that is studying more good or bad. It's the way you're saying it and the fact that you're interjecting yourself into making decisions for someone's life that's the problem. So don't just tell yourself, well, if my advice is good, I'm allowed to say whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. No, you don't have that right. We have to always respect the autonomy and individuality of any person, even starting from a young age, depending on how old they are and what type of decisions we're making, but still you want to give them that decision. And that's why we say things like, you know, when your child is young, let them pick what they want to wear. Don't worry so much if it matches or it's this or if, you know, it's the right appropriate thing within limits. You know, if you think there's a chance they could be embarrassed or something, you might be aware of that. But even still, kids are oftentimes more okay and resilient than we are. We might have our own issue about wearing the right thing or being underdressed or overdressed, but they'll be okay. Uh, I remember being a kid and I think because I would always see my father wearing a tie, we would go to the park and I would have like a clip-on tie and even sometimes I would clip it onto my overalls, which looks really awkward, but they let me do it and I liked it and felt good and there's no negative consequences to it, but it gave me that opportunity to make that choice. So we have to remember that just thinking of our advice as good or bad is not the only issue. The way we give advice and even the timing, if it's okay, or maybe we don't need to say anything at all is important. Sometimes you might realize something is not good, but you don't have to always say something. You gotta let someone have those experiences. So take some inventory of yourself and the control you're trying to have on others. And usually the arguments people use is, yeah, you know, being controlling is bad, but I know what's best or I know how to help them and that's why I'm doing it. I'm so wise, uh, I have to share this with them. And that's the thing. We usually think, you know, rules make sense, but they don't apply to me. And especially this is true in situations when we can feel uh, narcissism or feel better than others. It's like, of course, those rules make sense, but not for me because I know what's best. And no one uh, has the right to control another individual and no one wants to be or needs to be controlled by giving someone the space to express themselves, to be their own individual self and to make their own decisions, that's actually the best thing we can do. That's the best advice in a sense we can give is giving someone that space. Sometimes the best advice is to give no advice at all. All right, let's go into our last commercial break, studio number 310441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fire Delacqui. We'll be right back. welcome back. So in the last segment, I was talking about control and trying to control other people and how we might think we're doing it for the right reasons or it's actually the right thing to do, but that it's always going to be a harmful thing. First of all, we're not going to be able to control someone, but also we're not giving them the opportunity to be themselves, to express themselves and be who they are. And so in a way, carrying over that conversation or that topic it can be important for us to then think about, of course, as someone else should not be controlling us, making sure we take as much control as we can of our own life. 
as I mentioned in the previous segment, we're not going to control everything and control ourselves perfectly in every moment. That's just part of being a human being, is that we can't always get it right or do the right thing. But we can be aware of how we live our lives and realize we do have much more control than we tend to think. You know, sometimes it's comforting to not have control. Because when you don't have control over your life, you're also not responsible to do the things to make it better and make it, of course, you can make it worse, but try to make it better. And we're not responsible for what happens. We're like, well, if it didn't work out, it's out of my control. It wasn't something that I did. And this reminds me of a kind of story that we can approach in many different ways, but that we oftentimes feel like we're in a jail where we are controlled by someone. And so this is kind of like a dream, you could say, um, but you're in a jail and there's someone there, a guard, who won't let you out. And every day you're there and you wake up and the, the guard is still there and won't let you out of the jail and you're miserable and you tell the guard, oh, there's so many things I want to do. There's so much I want to get done in my life and you won't let me do anything. I wish I was out there and I had freedom and I could do the things I wanted. And the guard keeps saying, ah, you wouldn't do anything anyway. You're not good enough to do anything. You wouldn't even try. And so every day, this person goes to sleep, wakes up, same situation, and just wishes that they can go outside and live life. And it's funny, of course, in a way, um, because of what we're all going through now, we might feel like we're in a jail. But in essence, let's come back to this story and think of that same theme. But every day waking up and the guard is still there saying you can't go you're stuck here and I won't let you out and every day the person just like oh I wish you'd get out of my way I wish you would let me go I would wish that you would just let me out of this jail forever and then one day that he yells at the guard and when the guard turns around he realizes that it's him the guard has his own face and the person that was holding him back his whole life was himself. No one else was putting him in this jail but himself. He was the one who's holding himself back. And for all of us, we live our lives or at least some aspects of our lives in this same way. Um, of course, sometimes really there are constraints that are outside of our control, people holding us back, logistical issues, life, people are oppressed in different ways that I don't want to undermine or diminish. So there are real ways that people are held back. So I'm not saying that anytime someone is held back, it's their own fault. But if we really look at it more closely, we see that there are so many ways that we are holding ourselves back, that we put ourselves in a jail, that although it looks like we can't get out of, it's because we've said, oh, I can't do this, or I can't do that, or it's too scary to try this or to try that. Usually we don't talk about it as scary, we think we just can't, because thinking of it as scary makes it seem like it's in our control. It's like, oh, I want to do that, but you know, it's just not possible. I want to pursue this or pursue that, but I just can't. And how sad it is that we're the ones that so often hold ourselves back in different ways. And in each and every one of us, myself included, reflect on this, we'll realize ways that we've been living and ways that we've been not living that maybe we thought of as just inevitable, that we have no choice, that we have no power, but that actually if we thought about it, we'd see that we were the only thing getting in our own way. Uh, so as the way I like to think of it is you could be in that jail and you say, you're not going to stop me. You're not going to stop me. 
and then you realize you're the only one there. So that you that is stopping you, it's just yourself. No one else is limiting you. No one else is keeping you from going forward. And so it's it's a good insight to have to recognize that we're stopping ourselves in different ways. But then we have to dig a little bit deeper to see, well, why is it that we're stopping ourselves with whatever it is? Because always there's more to the story than just, oh, I'm stopping myself, let me start. In a way, it's that easy, but usually there's more to it and it's more complicated. So is there something where you're not sure you deserve something great? Very often this happens because achieving some kind of success, uh, becoming wealthy, if that's what you're looking for, being promoted, all these things. Of course, when we think about it, it all sounds great, and it is, but it comes with a lot. Do I deserve it? Um, will people come after me if I get it? Sometimes there's feelings of this rivalry that we might have that we don't understand, that we think that if I get something good, people will not like that and they'll come after me. So it feels safer to not achieve something. And so we can create these very complex paradoxes where it's like we really want something, but we're also so scared of it that we don't get it. And then we blame ourselves in a way, oh, I'm not good enough to get it or I can't get it. But it's actually that we're afraid to actually get the thing that we want so bad. Uh, you know, it's interesting. There's this uh, kind of like a saying or a concept in psychology that a wish and a fear can be two sides of the same coin. And I think that can be very telling when you think of things like, for example, intimacy. And I've talked about this a lot, how getting very close to someone, being in a deeply connected, intimate, emotionally intimate relationship is an incredible feeling, but also very terrifying because you can get the most hurt there. So very often the things we want the most, we're also afraid of the most. So if we really take an inventory of our own life and what we want and what we wish we have achieved or the changes we wish we would have made, we'll see that there are these ways that we've held ourselves back. And that can be a disheartening realization, which I understand. But if we dig a little deeper, we'll see that there probably is more to it. And if we unpack some of those things, it might make it easier for us to stop holding ourselves back. When we realize, oh, I, I'm afraid to shine for some reason, or uh, I'm not sure I can do it. That's another interesting one. If we never try, we can never fail in that sense. Of course, the only failure is a failure to try. I like that quote. Um, so if you don't try, uh, you, that's the real failure. But many times we are more comfortable that way. Oh, I want to uh, you know, interview for that job, but it brings up this anxiety. What if I don't make it? And so we think it's just easier not to ever interview. And we might come up with some reason, oh, I could be better than anyone at that job, but they just won't let me, or there's so much politics, or whatever it is. We give ourselves reasons and excuses, and it also lets us keep this, this feeling alive. Oh, I'm so much better than the people there, but I don't just get the chance. And again, we make it seem like we don't get the chance because of the outside. There's politics, there's these other reasons, things are unfair, but we're the one holding us back. We're the reason we're not getting that chance to see what's there. It can be scary because if you try your best and you don't make it, well, then you have to face that reality that maybe you're not, let's say, cut out for that job or good enough or as good as you thought you were in that particular thing. It doesn't mean you're not good, but you might not be quite as capable as you thought. But in that fantasy in your mind, the daydream, you can always imagine being the best but actually doing something is gonna be the real test. And we sometimes hold ourselves back to prevent that failure or prevent that feeling that we might get if we don't make it. And so that's why I always admire people that do. They try something. Um, there's that quote, I, oh gosh, it might be by 
Franklin Delano, Delano Roosevelt, American president um, of, you know, the people in the arena, or maybe it's Teddy Roosevelt. Anyway, uh, definitely I don't know the source, but to admire the people who are battling, who are in the arena, who actually try, that actually do something, even if they fail, even if they don't make it, because we know that oftentimes when we fail, that's the best growing and learning learning experiences we can have to then do something better going forward. Lately, I've been watching, um, as many sports fans, especially have been watching The Last Dance, the documentary on the Chicago Bulls, documenting especially the last season where they won their uh, sixth championship in eight years, but also going back of Michael Jordan's career especially, but also others who are on the team, and you see the the losses when they couldn't get past the Detroit Pistons for several years, and the struggle and that pain, and even I really like to watch that, seeing the team lose, because you see the growth and the experience that came from that. You know, we sometimes say these adages like, oh, you can't win them all, which is true, but it's not just about, oh, you can't win them all, so you don't always get to feel good, but also, oftentimes we can't win them all because we need those learning and growing experiences that happen with losses that happen when we fail or we don't quite make it. So I enjoy seeing those experiences of people when they don't make it, but they push forward. They had some kind of belief or hope that things could be better or that they could overcome. And that and that incredible feeling they get when they do overcome that obstacle. So try to recognize the ways you hold yourself back. How are you putting yourself in this jail where you don't give yourself that opportunity and figure out why is that a safety space for you, a safety zone, a comfort zone for you, that you prefer to stay safe and stay unhappy, unsatisfied, unfulfilled, rather than risking and putting yourself out there where maybe you fail, maybe you have to try harder and face all those obstacles and the struggles, and of course, but maybe you can make it too, and that can be what you really deserve and what you really want. We put ourselves in a jail right now, you might feel in a type of jail because of being quarantined, but we do it emotionally and in the decisions we make to hold ourselves back. But I hope you'll let yourself out to give yourself the chance and the opportunity to give yourself the dream job, dream life that you're looking for. Because most of the time, we're the only one who's holding ourselves back. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. A big thank you to Ghazale, who's in the studio, making sure I could be live on the air with you all. Much appreciated. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. Hope you have a wonderful day.